For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclawschool.org. Open your Bibles, if you will, to the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter, his first letter to the Corinthian church. We're going to be taking a look at one verse today, and that is chapter 1, verse 10. But before we get started on that, we are in the middle of a series or a, a, a family discussion, if you will, about what it means to be an irresistible church. A church that is not irresistible to man, but a church that is irresistible to heaven. And that's what we're about being. That is what we need to be focused on. And, and, and just because we are not together in this room doesn't mean that that mission has somehow been placed on hold. We're to be the church wherever we are, in our homes, as we communicate with each other by Facebook or by telephone or by writing a letter uh, to, to someone to let them know that they're loved and they're remembered. It's about being the church. And, and, and to do that, to be the church that God wants us to be, we have to have an intimate personal relationship with God. And that brings us to kind of the focus passage that we have, have been looking uh, at first uh, before we get into our specific weekly passage. We've been looking at James 4, 8. And then 10, when James, the brother of Jesus, writes this, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do we want to be an irresistible church? Then we have to draw near to God so that he will draw near to us. We have got to approach him, not with, with arrogance and independence, but with humility. We have to understand that when we walk into the presence of the Lord, we have entered the presence of the Creator God. He made us. He has blessed us with every good thing. He walks with us. He is ultimately victorious. We have no reason when we stand before Him to be arrogant. We should be completely humbled by who He is and what He has done for us. And it says when you humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. Do we want to be a church that's irresistible? Irresistible to heaven. And if we're irresistible to heaven, we're going to be irresistible to man. Well, the fifth trait that we're going to look at today of an irresistible church, a church that God loves to bless, is one that is, that is just, I think, one of my favorite ones, and that is having healthy relationships. Healthy relationships. It's when people get along with each other. It's when a church promotes and encourages a sense of unity with one another in the bond of love. You see, Scripture uh, is, is full of both command and encouragement to have the kind of relationships that kind of help to keep us together as a family. One of the things that I like to do is, 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 is call the, the, the church the family of God. We are a family. It doesn't mean we always get along. It doesn't mean that, uh, that there's not the crazy uncle that we keep around, you know, but it just, we're, it just means that we're, we're more than just a church. We're more than just a congregation of people. We are a family. Our church is a family. The community we reach out to becomes a family. The family of God is the, is the overarching family that we're a part of. And Scripture tells us about that. 1 Corinthians 1.10, the Apostle Paul wrote this, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together 
in unity. Now, having this trait, unity, possessing this trait, uh, doesn't mean everyone in church always agrees with everyone else. It also doesn't mean that the church is never going to have any problems. I mean, it simply means that when problems do occur in the body of believers, we take the time and effort to resolve them in a manner that's timely and in a way that is Christ-honoring. It's all in how we approach one another. It's not that we're never going to have disagreements. We're never going to have differences of opinion. But what it does mean is when those times do come, when those seasons do come, that we approach one another in a spirit of love and harmony. We approach it in a way that a family would when they get together. Ironically, though, you think it, it could kind of be refreshing, even freeing, to acknowledge the inevitability of problems within the church. I know some folks don't like to think about the fact that there may be problems in the church, and we think that if a problem crops up in the church, that that's a sign of weakness. Let me tell you, no church is problem-free, nor should it expect to be. When we realize that problems commonly creep up in the family of God, we are released from the pressure of needing everything to look tidy all the time. We don't want people to, to think that we've got any problems. We want people to think that we're perfect, that we've got it all together. But let me tell you something. The church is a conglomeration of people who don't have it all together. So how can we come together in our brokenness? How can we come together in our not having everything together and create something that has it all together? We don't. We don't. And so the church, above all else, needs to be real with the community that it's trying to reach. We need to understand that when people walk through the doors one day, when people walk back through the doors of the church, when you are sitting in your homes and you are participating in what the church is doing right now, every one of us brings our own baggage into the house of the Lord. None of us are perfect. None of us are problem free. None of us are all together all the time tidy. And so we should not expect the church to be. Every healthy church that is growing has one thing in common, and that is problems. I mean, the same is true with families or, or marriages. Problems are often signs that people are trying their best. When a church is growing, when, a, when God is doing something tremendous in the church, it creates, uh, I guess, structural problems, if you want to look at it that way. There are going to be issues with regard to spending. There's going to be issues with regard to programs. Are we doing the right kind of thing? Are we, are we reaching the, the, the right kind of... Uh, what kind of demographic are we looking at? And are we, are, we trying to approach, uh, are we trying to approach the entire community with one plan? Or do we have a plan uh, to, to, reach, uh, to reach out to young couples, to reach out to senior adults, to reach out to those folks who are married and have young kids and who have a special set of needs? Are we, are we trying to, to, to be a church that ministers to everyone? What are our priorities? We may have disagreements as a church about what our priorities are. We may have different, uh, different ideas about the direction that the church needs to go. And as long as we are doing all of this under the umbrella of reaching people for the God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ, of reaching people with the message of salvation, of reaching people with Jesus Christ and Him crucified and resurrected, as long as the, that is the overarching umbrella, then we can have family discussions about what that looks like. 
That's what, we're, that's what we're talking about. Perhaps one of the greatest family discussions we always have, uh, much to, you know, and, and Brother Danny, you know, mentioned it a little bit earlier, uh, is, uh, is worship. How do we reach out to everyone? How are we inclusive to everyone when everyone's got an opinion about what worship ought to look like? How do we do that? How do we do that? How do we, how do we reach out to folks who, who, who may want something uh, contemporary and still remain uh, faithful to, to, to folks who, who, who prefer something traditional? How do, we, how do we blend that in a way that everyone comes and feels that they're, that, that, that they're being able to worship in the way that they feel God leading them to do? That is, that's something that a growing church has to deal with. Because you're not, let me tell you something. I told a music minister one time that, you know, my, I wouldn't have his job for anything in the world. Very rarely do people approach me and say, I really don't like what you preached on. Very rarely do people come to me and say, I really wish you would preach on this. But let me tell you something. Everyone has got an opinion about what worship ought to sound like. And so... You know, I, I, how, how the question is, and, and as, we, as we understand that, that the thing that we're talking about today is, is, is how to have healthy relationships, how do we as a church come together and do something, put something together that, that benefits and edifies and uplifts and, 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 and causes those that, that, that are worshiping with us to feel that they have been in the presence of God? Well, first of all, we have to hand these things over to the Holy Spirit. We are not able to do these things on our own. We cannot create, we cannot create the, 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 the kind of, of, of uh, unity and harmony that is required when hundreds of people from different backgrounds, hundreds of people with different opinions, hundreds of people with different ideas come together and try to then uh, jockey, if you will, for position in, in how this is going to go. We have to hand it all over to the Holy Spirit. We have to say, God, we want to be a church that is obedient. <clears throat> we want to be a church that listens to you. We want to be a church that responds when you call us. We want the Holy Spirit to, to make us into the people that you want us to be. Whatever that looks like. Problems are a sign that we are trying our best. It's like when people dance. Sometimes, well, I maybe shouldn't have used that example, but I'm going to anyway. It's already out there. Maybe it's when people dance. Those of you who ever have. Their feet often get tangled, right? But they don't quit. They simply untangle their feet and keep dancing. People are sometimes tempted to push problems under the rug. I don't know if you do that in your home. I don't know if you have done it in church before. They hope that the conflict is ignored. They hope that the conflict will work itself out in time. And let me tell you something. Pastors are some of the most guilty people of doing that. I don't know if it's in a class in seminary or something that we just, if we just don't acknowledge it long enough, it will go away. <clears throat> well, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this. Experience has taught me that if problems are not addressed, they're going to fester. If problems in the family aren't addressed, they're going to fester. If problems in the family of God are not addressed, they're going to fester. Now, certainly tact and diplomacy need to be factored into any dispute. And sometimes it means encouraging people to overlook an insult that they may have had. Like the writer of Proverbs twelve sixteen says, a fool's anger is known at once. But a prudent man conceals dishonor. Maybe there's times where we have been hurt that we just need 
to move on. Maybe there are times where we are burdened by being wronged by someone, and that burden, whether that person even knows about it or not, is affecting our worship. It's affecting our relationship with other people. It's, 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 it, it's affecting everything about who we are, and maybe we need to overlook an insult. Maybe we need to overlook certain wrongs, like Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 5, when he says about love, love doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. Do we love people that way? I'm going to tell you, this, this, uh, I had to soak my feet when this was over, studying for this. Do we overlook those things when we're wronged? Or are we part of a group of people that are just the world's greatest grudge holders? Do we let things go? Because it doesn't, it doesn't make life better for us. It, doesn't affect our, it, it does affect our worship. It affects our relationships with people that we're not even having problems with because it changes who we are. Bitterness and anger and resentment change who we are. It changes our perspective on life. It changes, it changes the way God wants us to be. And, and we have to work together on those things. Paul also writes in Colossians 3, 13 and 14, that bearing with one another and forgiving each other Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Boy, I tell you, that's, uh, that's, kind, of a tough, that's kind of a tough challenge. Forgiving each other, just as the Lord forgave you. Those of us who are part of the family of God, those of us who have fallen on our face before before God and have asked for forgiveness. Those of us who have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior and, and the Holy Spirit has entered us and has, has transformed us and, and, and keeps growing us every day into the likeness of Christ, understand that we have been forgiven a multitude of sins and transgressions beyond our ability to count. God has forgiven us completely. But you see, in turn, He asks us to do the same for others. How many of us have accepted the forgiveness of God but refused to extend that forgiveness to someone else? How many of us live in unforgiveness while we bask in the glory of God's forgiveness? That's a good question for us to think about. God is faithful to bring healing when healing is sought. And you see, we can have a hand, though, in deciding how long it's going to take if we will yield to God and to, to God's principles and his priorities for us. God wants us to forgive right away. Why? Because God forgave us right away. When we asked, God forgave. We should start by praying for one another. Think about it for a minute. It is really hard to stay mad at somebody you're praying for. Try it. Try it. Lord, I just want you to bless so-and-so. I don't forgive them, but I want you to bless them. That just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And God's probably looking at you going, I beg your pardon? Try taking someone that you've had a hard time with. Whether it's your fault or their fault, try, try taking someone that you've had a hard time with and praying for that person. Praying that that person has a good day. Praying that person has a closer walk 
with God. Praying that that person and you can resolve whatever issues you may have in your life, whatever, whatever that is. We should humbly seek forgiveness, and we should lavish forgiveness on others. After all, we are forgiven and for far greater transgressions than anyone could ever do to us. Anyone who has ever wronged us, whatever they have done to us, pales in comparison to what we have done to Almighty God. Pales in comparison to the life we live before Christ entered our hearts, where we lived in open rebellion against God. Jesus tells us, in fact, that we can't worship if we harbor anger or resentment toward others. In Matthew 5, Verses 23 and 24, he kind of gives us this instruction. Look at this. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. In other words, Jesus is saying that, that right, having right relationships to, with one another is more important than having church. You've got, in order to have church the way God wants us to worship, the way God wants us to relate to one another, we have got to get this thing that we have got in our heart against someone or someone has against us. We've got to get this out. We've got to get it taken care of because it inhibits our worship. Those are some pretty strong words. And it is a command, not an option. Jesus didn't say, if you feel like doing it, do it. Jesus didn't say it might be a good idea if you did it. He says if you come to present your offering and you have got something against someone or someone's got something against you, you leave your offering, go take care of that problem, and then come back and leave your gift of worship. He's telling us to do that. If we want to worship the way God created us to worship, then we need to make sure our hearts are right first. Our hearts are right. And you see, our hearts can't be right if we are holding in anger, in, in, in some kind of fashion we're holding in anger. We need to get it out so we can deal with it. If we're going to be a church that loves one another, a church that loves the community, a church that loves missions, a church that loves Jesus Christ, a church that loves what the Holy Spirit is doing in us individually and corporately as a body, then we have got to get these issues, whatever they are, out into public. This overarching principle, I believe, holds true. Relationships between individuals are of utmost importance. Just think of the way God created us. Churches, first of all, are living organisms. They are not corporate organizations. And I think a lot of times seminaries do churches a disservice when they train pastors to become CEOs and not under-shepherds. We operate off a different set of priorities than a corporate entity would. We operate off a different economy. We operate off of a different set of marching orders. We operate off of a different uh, perspective about how the world ought to operate. Why? Because we operate the way God would have us to operate, not the way the world thinks is the right way for us to do. We are not corporate organizations. We are living organisms. We are hundreds or thousands of people that have come together, billions worldwide, come together under one umbrella, the umbrella of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we live our lives, we love one another, we live in community, we live individually, and because of that, we bring these things together. We're living, we're breathing, whether we're in this room or whether we're in hundreds of houses. We are a living, breathing organism, this church 
this body of Christ. The health of an individual because of this, because we are a living, breathing entity, the health of an individual, one of us, affects the health of the whole church, right? When one of us is hurting, we all should hurt. When one of us is celebrating, we all should celebrate and praise with them. When one of us is struggling, we all should lend a hand up. Churches are like our bodies. Those of us who have been watching the news are just fascinated and fixated almost on, on what, what is going on health-wise around the world, right? in our country, in our state. And it's the same with, with the health of our church spiritually, when a culture of healthy relationships is compromised. When a church of healthy relationships is compromised, we are at risk of a variety of diseases. A variety of diseases. We become predisposed to, to unnecessary relational illnesses, if you will. And those include, like, what? A lack of communication, shrinking or diminishing joy, an increase in gossip, jealousy. All of the things that can, that can distract and undermine the work of the church, we become exposed to. We become predisposed to. When relationships are thriving, though, our spiritual immune system works great. It protects us from these random illnesses that the church may have. If we get sick, we're resilient. We heal quickly. The results of that are joy that you can feel and touch. Tangible joy. Joy that the body of Christ ought to be just bathing in. Tangible joy. Camaraderie. Togetherness. Things that we are missing. I'm going to tell you, more people have, have talked to me, whether they drop by the church to drop something off, or, or they text, or we talk on the telephone. Let me tell you something that we're missing, and that is that camaraderie. We're missing the togetherness. We gather together in different homes to, to worship. And that's what we have to do for this, this stage of normal right now. This is where we are as the church. And God is doing tremendous, awesome, wonderful, transformational things in both the church and outside the church. People are listening that have never listened before. People are responding in ways that they have never responded before. God is, is taking uh, this thing that is going on in our lives and He is doing something miraculous and, and monumental with it. And praise God for that. But we still do we not miss that togetherness. I walk through the fellowship hall every day on my way to my office and I miss the fact that there's nobody in there. I sit in my office and miss the fact that the little bell doesn't go off letting me know somebody's trying to get into the church. I miss being able to go and see people who are in nursing homes or, or visit people who may be homebound or, or just re get out into the community and just, just touch people and, and love on them and, and tell them that I miss them and that I love them. I just, I, I miss that. That's the kind of camaraderie that, that, that the church has always enjoyed. That's the kind of camaraderie that the church needs to have. Mutual support as we work together as a team. Every one of us gifted in different ways. Every one of us bringing our gifts and our talents to bear on the problems of this world in a way that God has given us to do. Living as a family, that's, that's what we do. Now, let me tell you something. This is not 
a message on conflict resolution. Okay, that, that's not why we're here. There's certainly a time and place for that. I don't think that's where we are as a body of believers. I, I mean, this is, there is no reason uh, other than the, the, the moving of the Holy Spirit that why we, why we would be discussing this right now. I know the first thing when a preacher starts talking about getting along is that they're, they're start asking themselves, well, who's not getting along? That's not what this is about. We're talking about becoming a church that is irresistible to heaven and a church that becomes, by being irresistible to heaven, irresistible to others. And we do that by growing, by developing, by maintaining healthy relationships. That's why we need to have that discussion. My intention is to point us to the positive side of the discussion on healthy relationships, and that is an irresistible church fosters healthy relationships. An irresistible church is a place that people want to be a part of because they look in and they can see that these people love each other. They may not agree all the time. They may, not, uh, they may come from different backgrounds, have different socioeconomic uh, statuses. They may, they, may not look, they may not look anything like each other, but they are united under the common uh, goal of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something. You know, they love one another. We're a people, whatever we say, however we try to, to act, whatever bravado we try to put on, we're a people who crave love. We want to be loved. And we want to share love with others. Okay, that's just the way we were created. And the church ought to be a place that fosters that. And what's the single best way of, of going about doing that? By having a common goal. How can we as a family get together? Well, we have a common goal. We as a church need to keep the big picture in mind. Three words we've been talking about. Three words that have been surrounding everything that we do. And when everyone finally comes back to church, we're going to start having some things around here that folks uh, can see that this is the focus of this church. Three words I want you all to make sure you write down. Three words I want you to pray about. Three words I want you to commit to your memory, bury in your heart, and that is knowing, becoming, and living. We want to know more about Jesus Christ. We want to know more about Him. We want to study Him. We want to worship Him. We want to praise Him. We want to know what His plan is for us. We want to have a developing relationship, a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's what the church is about, right? It's growing in Christ's likeness. And you can't grow in Christ's likeness unless you start to understand who Christ is. We want to be an irresistible church. We want to be a church that, that, that grows into who Christ is. And then as we know who Christ is, it enables us to become more like Christ. We want to be. We want to know Christ. We want to be like Christ. We want to grow in Christ's likeness. That's part of discipleship. If you look, knowing, becoming, and living are all part of, of, of being a disciple. Growing in discipleship. Learning how to take the gospel out and share it with people. Learning how to, to, to take what we've got here and, and, and get it out into the world. This love and this service and this sacrifice. Get it out into a world that needs to hear it. We want to do that. And as we, as the more we grow to, to live, to be like Christ, we learn to live for Christ. 
All of this gathers into this point where we want to live for Jesus Christ. We as individuals want to live for Christ. We as a church want to live for Christ. We want to bring Jesus Christ into a world that is dark and lost and hurting and lonely and show them what has made us love one another. And that is the love of Jesus Christ. A love that overflows us. A love that cannot, uh, cannot have any end. It will not have any end. Mercy that just flows over us day in and day out, fresh and new every day. We give those things to people out of out of the abundance of what God has given to us. So that's our mission. That's our purpose. That's our goal as a body of believers. To know Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to live for Jesus. That's who we are. That's who we are. And if we focus on the kingdom impact of doing these things, then we're not going to have the time or the inclination to get involved in things that take our eyes off the mission. If we are absorbed with doing these things as a family, as individuals, then we're not going to have time to get embroiled in things that are not advancing the cause of Christ. Why? Because our, who we are is just going to be just consumed. Consumed with coming to know Jesus. Coming to know Him. To becoming like Him. And to living for him. We'll work together. We will serve one another in love. As Paul tells the Galatian church. We'll set aside individual interests for the greater good. As somebody once said. Because something much bigger than us is happening right now. How many of y'all feel that? Something much bigger than us is happening right now. It is just awesome to be a part of that. The kingdom of God is greater than any one person. The kingdom of God is greater than any one church. It's greater than any one mission or ministry. It's the advancement of the gospel. It's the bringing people to, to Christ so they can be saved. That is what we are about. It is something much bigger than any of us. And that phrase contains a lot of value. I think the church needs to operate in the same way. Like we understand that there is something happening here that is bigger than us. Wayne Cordero writes this. The Holy Spirit loves to work in an environment of genuine affection where people know that the larger goal is not about them. It's about the Messiah being born. It's about Christ coming into the world. It's about eternity invading our lives. That's where the excitement is. When we see each other in that way, when we work together as co-laborers, as, as companions, as partners, as allies, we're acknowledging that we're all part of the redemption plan of God. It is not about me. It's not about you. It's about the redemption plan of God. A plan that God has had from the foundation of the world to call people to himself. So that they will fall on their face, confess their sins, and be welcomed into an eternity with the living God. That is what we are about. And when a church rallies around a common goal, it helps foster a culture of people wanting to be together. Listen, in a society that resists closeness, resists healthy relationships, let me tell you, those healthy relationships will offer a cure to loneliness. Loneliness is pervasive in our society. It's only been made worse with the quarantine. But loneliness, we have never been more connected. And statistics reveal we've never been lonelier. Now, what does that tell you? That you can have access to all the information in the world on your phone or your computer or your watch or whatever it is you, you look at your information off of. But unless you have person-to-person -person contact in some fashion, 
It's just not fulfilling. It's just not fulfilling. In a society that resists closeness, healthy relationships offer a cure for loneliness. Genesis 2, 8, 18, I'm sorry, reminds us that. The Lord, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable to him. We were created in such a way that apart from one another, we cannot be fulfilled. We were created to have relationship with God vertically and with each other horizontally. I had to stop to make sure I had that right. But we were created to have a relationship with God first and then have that relationship with God inform every other relationship we have. We were never intended to live on an island. None of us were. It doesn't mean that we're all type A personalities. It doesn't mean we're all huggers. It doesn't mean we're all handshakers. But what it does mean is, is that we need each other. We need one another. Mother Teresa once said that if we have no peace, it's because we have forgotten that we belong to each other. We belong to each other. We can never forget that. For a church, it's paramount to operate from a principle that programs or facilities or resources or organizational charts only begin to make sense in the context of healthy relationships. What we do as the body of, of Christ, what we do as the bride of Christ, what we do as the church only makes sense in the context of our relationships with others. If what we are doing as a church is not intended to broaden those relationships, to, to grow those relationships, to bring people into a, a relationship with God, then why are we doing it? Why are we doing it? Healthy relationships set the stage for lifelong friendships, do they not? And under those conditions, friendships coalesce. When we're loving one another, when we are concerned about one another, when we worship together, when we study together, when we have ministry and do ministry together, those create bonds, spiritual bonds, and, 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 and bonds of friendship that, that, that make us a better, stronger, more effective church. An important part of being an irresistible church is that people enjoy being with one another. We enjoy being together. I have heard that countless times over the last month. I can't wait till we're all back together again. I can't wait until we can do this together again. I can't wait together, together. That's, that's, our, that's our longing. And why is it our longing? Because it's part of our makeup. It's part of our DNA. It's part of who we are. We long to be together with one another. We long to worship together, to sing together, even those of us who can't sing. Long to sing together. We long to be a part of something that is so much greater and better than ourselves. And sometimes this trait of healthy relationships is overtly evident in a church. And there's no need for uh, impressive programs or expensive venues. Maybe that's it's just who you are. When you may not have much, but good hearts combine with a good God to make those present feel like they're the most special people on earth. Let me tell you something. It doesn't require a church building for us to make people feel like they're the most special people on earth. To listen to somebody without the distractions, phasing out the distractions. When you look at somebody and that somebody believes that you think they're the only person in that room. Are we doing that? Are we listening that way? Are we loving that way? Are we fostering relationships, healthy relationships that way? I mean, that's where we are today. 
We're not in. Well, we are in. The seven or eight of us who are here today are in an impressive venue, but every one of us is in, every one of uh, the folks that are listening are in their homes or they're listening from work or, or wherever it is they're listening. It's still the message of Jesus Christ. It's still the gospel. It's still the mission that God has, has put us on. It just looks a little different right now. That's, that's where we need to focus. John tells us in his first letter, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Well, how is that? Well, it is because wherever we are, if we love God, God abides in us wherever we are. We don't have to be here. We can be wherever you are. God abides in you. Share that with someone. Where healthy relationships exist, the Holy Spirit is going to be delighted to attend. He'll be thrilled to fill the humblest surroundings with the presence of God. Paul wrote about unity, not only with each other, but with Christ in his letter to the Romans when he said this in Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be also united with him in a resurrection like his. Do you have that promise? Have you been, resur have you been united with him in a death like his and so you can be united with him in a resurrection like his? Do you know that in your life? Are you ready to have that relationship with him? Have you made that commitment? Have you given your heart and your soul to Jesus? Have you, have you used this time that God has given you, this pause that he has placed uh, us on globally? Have, have you given the time to get to know God better? And because of that, you've come to know that God has got something for you that you never thought you could ever have. There's a peace. There is a joy. There is a satisfaction that can only come with a relationship with Jesus Christ that he has given you the time to understand now have, have, you, have you grasped that? Do you want to make that commitment today? Do you want to get on your hands and knees? Do you want to get on your knees before a holy and a righteous God? Do you want to confess your sins to Him? Do you want to tell Him that you're, that you're tired of living life on your terms? Do you want to live life on His terms? That, you, that you're, you're tired of, of fighting this fight in your own strength? That you want to fight the fight that the world gives us in the strength of Almighty God? And that you have, you have sinned and that sin has kept you from Him, but you are ready to confess that. You're ready to give your life to Him and have Him enter your life and change you and make you a new person. Are you ready for that today? Will you make that commitment today? Will you do it? Will you let us know if you've made that commitment? Will you send us an email or a, a text? Will, you, will you, 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 you let us know on Facebook? However it is you can communicate with us, let us know because we want to celebrate with you and pray with you. We wanna, if you're not from the Louisville area, we want to get you in, 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 in a church or, or hook you up with a church that is going to help you grow and help you take, put you on the way towards discipleship. Are you, are you, are you ready for that step? Let today be the day. Don't wait another moment. You have got a life to live and an eternity to spend. Let it begin today. Why are we making this, 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 this offer? Well, number one, because God made this offer to you, not us. And number two, because we love you. We love you. We want to have that healthy relationship we've been talking about with you. We want, to, we want you to be part of, of, of a loving, caring, nurturing, sacrificing body of believers. We want you to be a part of that. Will you come today to do that? Father, I just, I just thank you for your word, how it touches us. And God, I just thank you for everything that you have done to all the steps that you have taken, Lord, to, to call us to yourself. 
Lord, I thank you that you have given us the, the privilege of responding. Lord, as we come to you, as we make our lives a, an act of worship to you, Father, I pray that you would bless that. Lord, as we come to surrender indeed everything to you, Lord, I just pray that you would take this and, 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 and change us inside and, and make us the church that we need to be, Father. Help us, to, help us to, to, to reach out beyond the walls of our homes, beyond the walls of this church, to, 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 understand, to help people understand that what we are about here is about relationships, relationships with you and relationships with each other. And that that is something that, that is something that's missing in someone's life. God, they can find it here. They can find it with you. God, let today be the day for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.